Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Legal Brief. I'm Misty Maris. I'm joined by my executive producer, Lauren Mincer-Clark. Hi, guys. Today, we're talking about The Real Housewives in real legal Yes. Yeah, so (laughs) a lot of people say that, oh, The Real Housewives, the drama, it's all manufactured, it must be produced. Well, one thing we know is not manufactured is the very, very serious legal issues that some of these Bravo celebrities are going through that's playing out uh, in in the media. Yes, it is very real stuff that we're dealing with right now. And we actually have a couple of housewives that are very much in the news as we as we speak. Um, you've got Erica Jane and, of course, Jen Shaw, who's uh, facing huge federal case. And so... I actually wanted to dive right into this, Misty. Let's can we start with Erica Jane? You and I, we love the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Erica Jane, she was just in the news again because um, yesterday, surrounding a pair of seven hundred and fifty thousand dollar diamond earrings and her needing to maybe have to turn them over. Misty, tell us what's going on. Yeah, seven hundred and fifty thousand dollar earrings, Lauren. So this is Whew. yeah of emotion filed with the bankruptcy court. So just to take a step back, Erica Jane has been involved in a bankruptcy proceeding. And this all relates back to August of last year when Tom Girardi, her husband, uh, they filed for divorce. um, But her, her husband at the time, his law firm, Girardi Keese, was accused of financial misconduct. They were a part of a fraud investigation, and they shut their doors. Now, the assets of Girardi Keese are part of this bankruptcy proceeding. So the assets of that law firm, uh, the bankruptcy court began liquidating those way back in August. And so there's been an effort to repay all of Girardi Keese's creditors. Uh, and that's what the bankruptcy court does. They go through all of the mm-hmm. expenses, all of the creditors, and they make determinations about who gets paid first and how much is owed and what's going to be part of those assets, as opposed to what is outside of the assets that are going to be subject to the bankruptcy proceeding. So that's where we begin. Now, in the investigation of all of these assets, money, it can be property, it can be actual uh, purchases that took place during the, this time period. Mm. A paper trail based on these filings of the bankruptcy court led back to a very, very large purchase of $750,000 diamond earrings. I would like to get my eyes on these because I can't even fathom. But side note, seriously. Yeah, I can't even fathom. <laughs> the house but, on your ears. Okay. Yeah, that's got wow. to be quite a pair of earrings. But so Erica Jane was responding to a motion from the bankruptcy trustee. And the bankruptcy trustee said that back in 2007, these earrings appear to have been purchased by Tom Girardi using funds that are, were law firm funds. So these were not as uh, oh. illegally purchased. Uh, it claims that he bought the jewelry in 2007, and this was funds skimmed from a trust account represented by his firm. So just so everybody has an idea about the responsibility of lawyers and law firms, you cannot touch for any personal reason or commingle funds with attorney trust accounts or law firm trust accounts. So All of that has to be kept completely separately, even if, as in this situation, you have Tom Girardi, this is his firm. It's been established throughout the course of various litigations in this case that he was really solely in charge of the finances, that he didn't Mm -hmm. have, he might have had people that were partners in name, uh, Mm -hmm. but they were not they were not the ones who were overseeing the finances of the firm. And he was really the one who was the uh, the person who was really involved in the firm's finances, in the firm's trust accounts. So the allegation is that he took money from one of those trust accounts, uh, illegal, illegal, <sighs> all the bells, not just unethical, but also illegal. And he took those funds and he spent $750,000 on this jewelry. The documents go on to say that the purchase was justified by being identified as a quote-unquote cost on the firm's account. 
Oh. So, yeah, this is something that obviously is going mm. to catch the eye of the bankruptcy court. And the way that we find out about all of this is the trustee of the bankruptcy conducts an investigation into any asset that could potentially go into that bankruptcy trust, uh, bankruptcy estate and then be distributed to all of these creditors. But that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. So it, when when they began liquidating all of the assets held by Girardi Keys, one of the first things you're going to look at, you're going to look at these attorney trust accounts and you're going to scrutinize every single transaction that you see on that account. So that's what the trustee says. That's what the bankruptcy uh, court is going to need to decide. And Erica Jane responded in a filing where her attorney said that Erica Jane just received these earrings. This was a gift uh, from her ex-husband, who at the time was known to be an extraordinarily wealthy man. Right, right. They were a gift that there was no reason for her to believe anything but the fact that these were a were, were a gift from her husband. She, uh, you know, at the time, uh, the allegations and the response says that she she didn't know that he had any financial issues. She was never involved with the law firm's trust accounts. As I wouldn't, you know, just from an outside perspective as a lawyer, I wouldn't expect her to be involved with the law firm's trust yeah, accounts. Absolutely. So, yeah. But that's not really the critical legal question, Lauren. So mm-hmm. the argument <laughs> is that the are a gift. That's Erica Jane's response. And, right. and further, her her response even goes further to say that the evidence being presented uh, with respect to these earrings is what he called it. He, her attorney called it hearsay evidence um, that there is no uh, basis for that claim. Basically, that the evidence that was provided in the filing uh, was insufficient to prove that these particular earrings should were, were purchased uh, and should be part of the trust uh, part of the bankruptcy account. So that's really the argument. Now overall the argument that some of Erica Jane's possessions and certain items that she had acquired during the course of her marriage constitute gifts has been a constant theme. I was going to say Right. This is like kind of sounds like everything she's been saying kind of from the beginning. She had no idea that any of this was going on and that she was living this lifestyle. I mean, we watched it on The Real Housewives. She's saying, I, I, this is the lifestyle I thought I had. She had no idea. Right. So that's been her argument. And mm-hmm. when it comes to the bankruptcy proceeding, because this is a civil proceeding, just just to understand yep. falls into all of the information that has come out of this case. Uh, and the the issues with Tom Girardi and Girardi Keats and how it applies to Erica Jane, the bankruptcy proceeding is exactly exactly what we we just said that Girardi Keats had racked up and you know in a filing this was from from uh, last year they had racked up a hundred million dollars in debt. Uh, Misty, I, like you said, you are an attorney. You've worked at a law firm. I've that. Is astounding to me. Is it's an astronomical amount of debt, Whew. an astronomical amount of debt, and that debt constitutes all sorts of different, uh, all sorts of different issues. So there's debt that was owed to litigation funding companies. There was other debts that the firm had that would be more your type of what you would n- not so unusual your corporate type debts and whatnot. Mm-hmm. There's also. Uh, accusations of embezzlement of funds designated for victims of the 2018 Lion Air plane crash. And there's other victims who have brought lawsuits against Girardi Keys for embezzling funds that were supposed to go towards their settlements, that these were the settlements that they had agreed to, that these victims and plaintiffs in these cases who were being represented by Tom Girardi were supposed to see a certain amount of money that they never saw. So the bankruptcy court is responsible for pooling together all of the resources and all of the assets. We know we've seen some properties being sold. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever money is out there, it could be cars, it could be valuables, whatever it is. Something like right. the earrings, a very, very, very expensive piece of jewelry. And the bankruptcy court makes a decision about, okay, what goes into that pot? And then what 
what is owed and what is owed to who and who gets paid first and how much money is there and who's going to get what. So that's really what the bankruptcy court is looking at. And in order to do that, it's follow the money, Lauren. It's take that paper trail. Okay, so what are we talking about? What what are we looking at in this in, in these documents and you know these loan applications? Mm. Looking at uh, the firm's trust. What transactions were made on the firm's trust account? That should be an asset of the law firm and therefore be a part of this pot of money that's going to go to either victims or creditors. So. For America Jane's perspective, she's the wife of Tom Girardi. She has not been accused of a crime as of yet. She's not been charged for the crime. But because she's married to Tom Girardi, there's going to be some uh, there's going to be some overlap and what mm-hmm. assets are going to be become part of this bankruptcy estate and what is going to be. Uh, able to be retained by her. And that's ultimately for the bankruptcy court to decide. And so that's where this argument is coming in, that many of the items that she acquired throughout their marriage were gifts. And the argument is that gifts should fall outside of the um, of the bankruptcy estate. So that's where her lawyer is going here. He's asserted that there's no reason for her to even question this back in 2007 when she received these earrings and that they were a gift and that she she's not really she should not be held accountable for the fact that he purchased them in a way that may or may not have been illegal depending on what the court decides after reviewing all of the evidence. Um so look, that's a that's a valuable argument. The the gift argument, gifts are treated differently in the law in many many different this ways. every single item has to be scrutinized and, and a determination mm. needs to be made. So there's going to be one pool and again, it's going to be very fact sensitive based on each and every asset that we're talking about uh, that's that the court is going to have to make a determination about. So obviously this is significant, $750,000. And they're putting that in this bucket as far as Erica Jane's defense that goes in this gift bucket. Now there's a much, much more uh, definitive argument when it comes to assets relating to Erica Jane's company and Uh. documents allege and again this is this all goes back to doc court documents that were filed back in august so girardi's law firm was more than a hundred million dollars in in debt and some of those transactions that were identified through the investigation and, and all of this that's going through the bankruptcy proceeding was that he there was a 25 million dollar <laughs> transaction oh. from from tom girardi from girardi keith the law firm to Erica Jane's entertainment company, which is called EJ Global LLC. So this hmm. is very, that, that, that's a, a bit of a different circumstance. So on one side, we have what we're talking about, Lauren. And as you said, mm-hmm. many times the gifts are treated differently under the law. You see it in estates when you're divvying out estates after somebody dies. A gift is, is treated differently. Um, Mm -hmm. For tax purposes, gifts are sometimes treated differently. The engagement ring saga, which can vary state by state, but it can be treated (laughs) differently. So there's there's all of these different um, issues that come along with when something is a gift, and that's the defense that's being raised here. But then you have acquisitions that were made by today Global LLC. So this company that was created but was formed using this $25 million from the firm. You know... and of course, she's going to still make the same arguments. The twenty-five million dollars right. was was uh, was given to her by Tom Girardi. But once you get into that sort of corporate structure, and then you're talking about all of the transactions that are made um, through that company, EJ Global. Well, that's when you have a more clear-cut argument from as the bankruptcy trustee to say, "Hey, anything relating to this." company ej global llc provided that it is proven that they that that 25 million dollars came from girardi keys right so we have this firm 25 million dollars being given to this company well now it becomes a little bit more clear and there's a better argument for the trustee that anything relating to ej global should be part of the bankruptcy estate and should be part of that pot that uh, that's going to 
go to pay both victims, creditors. You know, they were hit with a lawsuit mm-hmm. for failing to pay a judgment for like somewhere upwards of eight hundred thousand dollars. There's other pending lawsuits. So there's a lot going on here. And and that's going to be the argument for many of the assets, because, look, one thing I think is really interesting about this is that she's been on the show for years. Mm-hmm. Years and years. And so yes. there's a lot of video and audio yes. and tape of her living a very over-the-top, lavish lifestyle. So whereas in other proceedings where somebody's day-to-day is not captured on film, right? Right. right. A television show, it's very much paper trail. Here, when you're talking about an investigation into the bankruptcy estate, all you got to do is go back through, forget anything that didn't, that was, you know, that never made the cut and never made it on TV, which certainly could be a part of the case. But everything that's just shown on television, well, now you've got these starting points. You've got two jets that are referenced, right? Right. You've all of these you're things. walking through the closets and all of the roof, showing off all of the diamonds and... Right, exactly. And so there's a lot to this case that you wouldn't have in the investigation Mm -hmm. in another bankruptcy type proceeding, because there you're very reliant on documentary evidence. Here, you've got social media, plus you've got all of the tape of Real Housewives for the past years and years and years where Erica Jane has been living this lavish lifestyle where Tom Girardi did make appearances and made statements that could potentially be relevant in the course of this investigation. And realistically, the the purpose of this is to make those who were owed money, whether they be, like I said, this loans that were not repaid, judgments that were not paid. But most importantly, you have these victims. Yes. Attorney and in a law firm to, and look, he worked on catastrophic injury cases. So his victims are very, very sympathetic, the victims that he represented and to get yeah. them settlements. And then if to the extent that it's true that the settlements were not paid, well, that's oh. all um, out of the assets and whatever's liquidated, whatever money is in that pot to pay back. I don't know if there's going to be a hundred million dollars in there. Right. Right. That's right. Comical amount of money. Um, and I don't know what, if anything, is going to be there. There's also an assessment of every creditor and whether or not they have entitlement to some of those funds. So it's super complicated. But the point is that this investigation is pretty far reaching, even though it's a bankruptcy proceeding. There's so much that goes into this particular investigation. Mm-hmm. Just to get down to the bottom of how much money are we dealing with? What victims are we dealing with and who's owed what? So. That's what we're seeing now. Um, and in furtherance of that, so what the result of the of the motion as of now, the court hasn't made a determination about whether or not these $750,000 earrings are going right. to be part of the estate or not. That's for more argument, will likely be uh, raised by both sides. They might you know, have to provide further, maybe even legal research or further evidence, and the court would ultimately make a decision. But in the meantime, Erica Jane's attorney has said that she will not be selling them, that they will be held in trust by a third party so that she, so that they will be there depending on what the court makes as a determination. As they're ruling. That sounds reasonable. Yeah. And that should. Yeah. A lot of times in these types of situations, you'll have, it could be frozen bank accounts. It could be an Mm -hmm. asset to sell. It could be, uh, an item like these earrings. It could be something else that has tremendous worth or even is, is worth a hundred dollars. It, it, you know, it just depends if something's in question, what usually happens is they're put, it's put into trust or escrow or something like that so that uh, the court can make a determination and it won't be to the detriment of any of the creditors because that item will be there after the court makes a decision. It won't be sold in haste because <laughs> it, it's, Exactly, because you know that's yeah, and, and speculation again. None of this is uh, there's no determination on a civil or criminal level, but there's a lot of speculation that Erica Jane, when she filed for divorce, the timing was a bit suspect because right, it, right around the time where Tom Girardi seemed to not be able to 
um, cover his tracks any longer. I mean, he was in a courtroom back in September of 2020, and he made a statement on the record that he used to have 80 million or 50. Right, I remember that. He said, "I at one point I had about 80 or 50 million dollars in cash. That's all gone. I don't have any money." I also had a stock portfolio of about $50 million, and that's all gone. I mean, uh, th- that's what he said in open court. And then shortly thereafter, she files for divorce. So they're right. That because he's obviously not solvent when it comes to cash based on his own statement, right? He, mm-hmm. he doesn't have it anymore. He had a stock portfolio. He doesn't have it anymore. Well, where are all of your assets? Most people's assets are in property and homes. Mm, right. Uh, that's where most people have their money. And mm-hmm. they had a they had a big mansion. Right. <laughs> he owned the building that Girardi Keese was in. Um, so and and L.A. not cheap. Not, not cheap. Place. Very I could I could vouch. Very, not not you cheap. For it. Yes. <laughs> so, no. Yeah. Uh, all of those assets are, are up for uh, are potentially up for grabs. And so she then files for bankruptcy or excuse me, she then files for divorce shortly thereafter that statements made in open court. And people are thinking, myself included, Lauren, I think I actually cool. did you on the side. I said, this is interesting because yep. one thing that uh, people speculated is that the divorce was an effort to mask some assets because when you divorce especially that they didn't have a prenuptial agreement but if you agree all right you get the house you get to keep this a lot of times people make agreements um about what each person is going to keep in the divorce and people speculated that this was an effort to Mm -hmm. shift assets to erica jane and it was foiled because uh, all of these other people came forward and said, hey, look, there's money that's owed here. There's money that's owed there. Many, Much of the transparency in this case, Lauren, if you remember, related back to that Lion Air plane crash. There was yes. a settlement in that case. And another law firm was involved, which is very common in multi-jurisdictional litigation that you're going to have law, oh, you're gonna have a lawyer that may, might have a, a big reputation but be admitted in California, gets admitted in another state for the purpose of that case, but also works with a local law firm because you're going to have a lot of court appearances. You're going to have all of the stuff that needs to be done on um, boots on the ground. So mm-hmm. that's not unusual. But that law firm that, that Tom Girardi was working with said, what the heck is going on? We have not received the funds for the plaintiffs. We're receiving we're receiving calls saying where the heck are the funds, and he's not picking up the phone and getting back to us. So right, we a problem. A lot of this came to light. So uh, it's it's certainly a convoluted case, and it's it's uh, the the earring issue, the seven hundred fifty thousand dollar gift issue. A ruling in that particular issue is is probably going to have a bearing on a lot of other items. That uh, that's interesting. It, it could be what we could be looking at as this moves forward with more of that stuff. And that $25 million that you were talking about, you know, that is being alleged there too. Right. $25 million to her company. <sighs> and what did she acquire through mm-hmm. the company? And is that going to all revert back to the estate? I mean, my guess would be, yeah, except that, give the caveat, Every individual transaction is going to be looked at singularly mm-hmm. to make a determination. That's how it works. That's why bankruptcy, you know, when people are in bankruptcy proceedings, it's not wham, bam, I'm done. Yeah. It's long drawn out proceedings, especially when you have a lot of assets and you have a complicated legal landscape like we do in this case. Well, and can I ask you another thing? Because something else that I saw with this is that the Calif- the California Bar Association is, I'm sorry, correct me if I'm wrong, investigating itself because of complaints regarding this case. Can you explain this to me? Yeah. So this is, <laughs> so the, Cal- the, the State Bar of California, which that's the organization that oversees attorneys in a state. So mm-hmm. in order to practice law in any state, you have to be a member of the, the, the bar. You have to pass a bar exam, right? Right, and right. Member of the bar, and then you have to maintain your licensing by taking classes, continuing legal education classes in certain categories and certain uh, practice areas, ethics being one of them. And if there is alleged misconduct by an attorney, 
that is part of that bar association that practices law in that state, it's investigated by the bar association. And there's a whole host of different things that can happen. Somebody could be, uh, depending on what's alleged, the bar association has investigators that look into the allegations that are made and make determinations about whether or not there was any kind of misconduct or any sort of unethical behavior. And then not only do they make determinations about misconduct or unethical behavior, they also make determinations about appropriate punishment for that conduct. So it's a very, very important organization. And the purpose of it is to ensure that lawyers are conducting themselves in a way that is, that is ethical. Ethical. Yeah. And it's (laughs) very important important because people's lives are put in the hands of attorneys. And yes. Yeah. When you take your oath, uh, when you take your oath as an officer of the court, you promise to conduct yourself uh, in 24 seven. I mean, there's, Mm -hmm. there's, that's a question that is on the ethics bar and any attorney will tell you, they ask you, when are you a lawyer? It's not from nine to five or nine to midnight or nine to 2 AM, whatever your work day is. (laughs) It's, it's, it is, it is 24 seven. You were always an attorney and you were always to conduct yourself as such. So, uh, when you're talking about allegations of taking funds from plaintiffs that rightfully belong to them that you negotiated as an attorney that you advised them on what the right move is and Mm. the allegation is that you are taking them for your own personal gain that is probably one of the most serious and egregious violations have to imagine yeah so ethically uh, that's that's it's very very clearly if proven unethical um but it's also criminal that's also criminal conduct. So uh. basically what happened here is that when all of this comes to light about Tom Girardi, well, people start to say, when, when, when did we become aware? Yeah. This, uh, this part- clearly sounds like it's been going on for a lot longer than people knew. Right. Exactly. Right. So, so there's the, the, you know, the onion is being, is being peeled mm-hmm. and they're all, all of the stuff is starting to come out that it's not just, you know, 2019, it's not just 2018, that this dates back for a long time. So there's filings that indicate the bar found evidence that Tom Girardi had committed misconduct in three cases in the 1990s. So we're talking a long time wow. ago. Uh, and they chose to impose punishment in 1999 but the punishment kept his law license you know nothing nothing impacting his law license and also it was not public so the question is why and and now there's people coming out these the victims of of these catastrophic mm-hmm. these catastrophic cases that Girardi case handled that Tom Girardi handled and there's information coming out that others had reported him to the bar and it seems like nothing happened so his reputation was uh, as a very, very high profile attorney in California who was very hooked up politically, who knew a lot of people, sat on the committee that selected judges for the state of California. And the question is, what happened in the course of investigating wow. Tom Girardi when complaints were made? So what on on this was very recent um there's it became public that there was a wide-ranging investigation into whether the bar of california's employees or other people that were affiliated or worked with the agency helped or assisted girardi escape discipline for these for these complaints um so the question is what did they know what did they do to investigate and what was what were the results of that investigation? Now, apparently, back in September, the state bar had actually retained another law firm to perform an investigation. But now, because and this is this is the timing 
uh, is obviously coordinating with all of the issues that are coming out in this bankruptcy case, right? Because we're learning Mm -hmm. more and more and more about what happened from the paper trail. But there's all sorts of funding meetings and budgetary meetings. You know, this is the beginning of the year. So this agency has to deal with all sorts of governmental type red tape. And so another law firm, an outside firm, has actually been retained to conduct an investigation. And they're trying to identify what actions, if if at all, uh, with anyone who has ties to the state bar might have constituted malfeasance in how the complaints were investigated or how discipline was decided. So, yes, Lauren, the, the state bar is investigating itself. Oh. And in doing so, it's retained an outside law firm who... Um, in theory, should be a neutral. And this is this is very often a piece of advice that you get, whether or not it's a governmental agency or whether or not it's a private corporation, is to get somebody outside to come in and do that deep dive and to make those determinations because there isn't, internally, there mm-hmm. can sometimes be issues with internal investigations. When you get somebody outside, it's looked at from a more objective perspective. And that's, that's usually why that happens. So I think that um, we're probably going to learn a lot uh, because it depends what what comes out of this how many complaints were there what happened to those complaints I mean in a in an, a, an investigation the LA Times broke last year there's allegations that Tom Girardi had brought officials and, and people involved with the California bar on private planes that, that you know he had entertained them that he had brought them to parties and right. the was that was that some sort of quid pro quo? I, I mean, we don't know. Right, that, right. The allegation that you know was 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 he being treated the same as somebody else who right. been accused of and uh, had 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 committed misconduct? Was it the same? Because exactly what this says is the bar had found evidence back in the nineties that he had committed misconduct. So the question to me becomes what. Is misconduct. Misconduct is such a broad term. I, I right. don't really opine what that means. Was it something more minimal that would just constitute an ethical violation and might be proportion proportionally, uh, you know, and some sort of public admonishment or censure or some people uh, when they when they engage in unethical behavior, lawyers are told you can't practice for a certain amount of time. So there's all sorts of different remedies. And the question is, what was the level of misconduct? Was it skimming client funds? Was it commingling right. funds? Firm? Did it involve these monetary crimes of fraud that are being investigated? And then so, was he able to just continue? Yeah, interesting. Right, right. And so that's really, that's the question. And uh, Can I ask you, does that, because I feel like it kind of then leads to, I mean, could you potentially see criminal charges in this case, it feels like there's a lot of potential in kind of a couple areas. Yeah, so there's a couple of different aspects to this that that we need to talk about because these are happening in different forms. So we have the bankruptcy proceeding, which is a civil proceeding, and that's happening in a bankruptcy court. Mm-hmm. And the information that's coming out of that is what we were talking about. There's paper trail, there's assets, there's uh there's following the money. Where did the money go? We heard him in court say he had 50 or 80 million dollars cash. Cash. Insane. So he had that and it's gone. All right. And, it, go? and in general, right. we're going to have a paper trail there. We know that the, this this came into the public eye when victims of the Lion Air crash began clamoring for their payments to his firm. Shortly thereafter, the firm closed down. So there's all of this money that's out there. They're following the money in the course of the bankruptcy investigation. That's all that paper trail is being investigated. Again, everything that we saw play out on TV, anything on social media, all of these Mm -hmm. assets, we're figuring that out. Now, in the course of this um, investigation by the California State Bar, by this outside law firm, I don't know what's going to become public. Uh, the, The L.A. Times is actually suing to obtain this information. Oh, right. Uh, yeah, this is under a provision that's that allows for the agency, so the state bar, to release information when warranted for the protection of the public. So the Times is going after the sum and substance of these complaints of misconduct that are coming under the Bar Association. So that's we're talking about what we see in the public sphere. 
Now, there's a third set. And, and just taking a step back, the Bar Association, this is an internal investigation. So whether or not they discover misconduct by somebody else at his law firm or individuals that could constitute criminal behavior because of a cover-up or something like that, that will could come out of that investigation. But the nature of the of this internal investigation is not criminal. This is really to clean mm-hmm. up and find out whether or not there had been misconduct by employees, affiliates, or agencies of the California State Bar. Now, all of that being said, we have we have the aspect of criminal, potential criminal conduct. We know that most of Tom Girardi's assets have been liquidated. We heard there were frozen bank accounts, been forced to sell property. That all relates to the bank. Right. Um, as he's not a practicing attorney anymore since he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. So there's really not much that the California bar is going to do unless they decide to, you know, censure him retroactively or something. But that's not really going to affect him now. Right. But a criminal case could. Because remember, Lauren, you've now got information coming out of the bankruptcy investigation and now this internal investigation and there is no doubt that you have state and and probably also federal Mm -hmm. law enforcement agencies investigating what happened here Um, and a lot of that especially financial crimes it's following paper so keep in mind we just we we read that fact we told you that there are allegations that the firm was $100 million in debt. Okay, what were all these debts? What documents are there relating to those debts? Were they applications for loans? Were those truthful? Okay, so we've got that piece. Then we've got the most obvious, which is if it's true, and if there is evidence out there to show that he was siphoning funds from clients, that's just not unethical. That's right. Feeling. That's right. You know, so... On a horrific high level, yes. High, high, high level crimes because we're talking about a lot of money. Right. So what it seems like from what we're reading is that uh, the allegations are that he was running some sort of Ponzi scheme where he was just taking money from one place and kind of, you know, whack-a-mole, right? Yes, yes. and, And that's completely unethical and likely illegal if true. So I guarantee you there's a criminal investigation that's going on behind the scenes. A lot of the information that's playing out in these other cases that we're talking about with these different courts and agencies, that's all going to be relevant. Keep in mind what we see is the public, investigators have access to a lot more. You know, they're right. right. Yeah, they're 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 digging and they're following that paper trail, follow the money. It's it's an old saying, but it is so true when you're talking about investigations into financial crimes. And in this particular case, not only do you have a lot of paper, not only do you have money that went somewhere. It's, it's I can't imagine blowing fifty or eighty million dollars to me. That existed at some point, of course. It's so where <sighs> where did it go, um, and where did it come from? And so that's what the the investigators are going to be looking at. And to the extent that crimes were committed, that could absolutely serve as the basis of uh, a criminal indictment. But now let me ask you, because of his diagnosis, how, I mean, let's say if, it, if that were to happen, how does the, how would that affect things? Cause would he be competent for any kind of trial? I don't know. Well, Why not right. Something. That is absolutely complicating this whole case. So whatever's going on 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 an investigation with respect to potential criminal conduct. Now, if they want to bring charges against him, doesn't stop them from bringing charges against him just because he has been diagnosed with um, Alzheimer's and early dementia. Mm -hmm. Uh, He also complained of memory loss due to his age. So it doesn't stop charges from being filed. Where it becomes problematic is in a determination of whether or not he's competent to stand trial. So competency, in order to be tried criminally, in order to face criminal charges, you have to be competent. Competent Mm -hmm. means that you understand the charges against you. And you have the ability to participate in your own defense. That's the broad definition of competency. If somebody is found not to be competent, 
they're what happens is they're given medical care and then they're reassessed. And until they are deemed competent, mm. they can't stand trial. And when I say deemed competent, it usually entails in, in um, what's called an independent medical investigation, which means the court has uh, a medical examination done in order to make that assessment. And then it's determined whether or not this person fulfills those two prongs that they know and they can understand the charges against them and they can participate in their own defense. And that analysis is done when, when they're facing trial. So it's their mindset at the time of trial. It's not their mindset back when they were committing crime. So that's where you, (sighs) that you look at, you look at this time period of when they're facing trial and when they're facing criminal charges and whether or not they can actually sit at that defense table and go through a trial. And in his case, with his diagnosis, right? Challenge and look. It doesn't mean that a court might conduct an independent medical examination. It could be different. It could be different at different points of time in his life. He could receive treatments that make him better. You know that that put him in a position where he does fulfill that requirement. Remember, it doesn't mean that you mm. that everything's reversed and you don't have Alzheimer's anymore. It just means that you have the ability to understand that's you and participate in the case. So it's complicated, Lauren, because Ooh. it's a difficult hurdle. And it's uh-huh. very different than insanity, which is a look back at the time you were committing the crime. So that's a lot of people confuse those two yes. standards, but that's how they differ. Insanity is when you were committing the crime, can you be deemed insane? That's not applicable in this case. Mm-hmm. But competency, are you able to fulfill the requirements to be deemed competent and face trial? Well, that's potentially now. Possible. Yeah. But again, it doesn't mean that he couldn't be charged. It just means that it, if he's not competent, it may not be able to go farther than that at this time. So this is definitely a case that has a lot of different variables going on all at the same time. And that just relates to Tom Girardi. Then the next question, going back to the bankruptcy estate, and obviously this is why everything's getting conflated because Erica Jane and Tom Girardi were married for, what was it, 20 years? I mean, 20 they, years, I think. Yeah, something like that. Yep. There's a lot of time to go through all of those assets. And the question is, what potential culpa- culpability does she have in any of this? Well, it's certainly impacting her on the civil side. Right. Because obviously, there's a certain degree of this EJ, you know, her this business that was funded mm-hmm. by the That really creates a gray area about what's hers versus his. And then there's also that issue about assets relating to what they acquired during their marriage and whether or not that reverts back into the bankruptcy. So that's all the civil issues. She's she's named in a lot of the lawsuits. To what extent is she liable? Well, it just depends on the allegations and, and whether or not, is it loans? Is she on those loan applications? Let's go back to uh, Joe. Ah, oh, Teresa oh, and Joe, yes. Yeah. And Joe, you know, she signed a, Teresa signed a mortgage application that ended up, and she went to trial, ended up being fraudulent. So it all depends on the factual circumstances, whether or not Erica Jane could face civil or criminal liability. So all of this that we're seeing play out in these proceedings is evidence that could potentially become part of a criminal case. Wow. Uh, there's a lot to come with this one. And I just wanted to briefly just do an update because another housewife that would talk about federal charges had Jen Shaw and her assistant, Stuart Smith. They were arrested and charged with federal crimes relating to a massive telemarketing fraud scheme. Um, and as we talked about on the show previously, she was in court at one point trying to argue that that Hulu documentary that came out was uh, preventing her from receiving a fair trial. That was thrown out. They were able to go forward, but apparently there might now still be a delay. So what What's the update just where we are on this case, Miss Day? Yeah, so in a recent filing in court, um, her trial is scheduled to go forth, forth in March 2022. So literally right around the corner because we're just in the precipice of February. So that case is scheduled to go forward soon. But what the court said was that they were basically overbooked. And this has been happening a lot is <sighs> federal yep. when it comes to trials because of COVID. A lot of cases got pushed back. It had become more difficult to impanel juries. Uh, due to COVID restrictions. And so there's a backlog in many, many courts, including federal court where her case is venued. So the court had said, hey, you know, the docket's pretty 
pretty heavy. We might not be able to get to your case. And her lawyer actually said that they want to go forward ASAP. They want to move forward now. They do not want to reschedule. Uh, the fear being that if they can't go forward in March, that a reschedule date could potentially be well into. Right. Well, okay. So yeah, it could it could be much further. But remember, she's out on. She's not. Uh, yeah. Like, that, yes. I, so I was surprised that I mean, or I don't know, maybe it's not. But it sounds to me, I'm, it's a little surprising to me that they would be like, let's do this right now and that they're in such a rush to get it done. I think that that's a little bit interesting. Yeah, it is interesting because sometimes it's valuable to have more time yeah. to solidify your defense. Here in this case, it sounds to me like they're ready to rock. And of course, what I can understand from a human perspective, this just isn't a legal right. There's a tremendous amount of stress that hangs over someone's head. Yeah. That... Such severe criminal charges. So it could be that she just wants to move. That's fair. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, there's a whole variety of reasons why um, one side or the other, either prosecutors or defendants, we see it all the time, Lauren, there's a date scheduled and then it keeps moving because new evidence crops up or there's not mm-hmm. available. There's all sorts of things that could go on, but here they, they want to go full speed ahead. So it sounds like they were not successful on their motions to dismiss and they're teed up. They're ready to try the case and they want to move forward. We'll see what happens. Um, this is not one of those questions of prosecutor wants more time and defense objects. This is court saying our docket's really full. And I don't know if we're going to have the capacity to have this trial in, in March. So it's a different issue than a big, big old right out timing and prejudice and all of that. So we will see. But if that case goes forward in March, we will definitely have eyes on it. And if anything, absolutely, happens, um, we have not, you know, there hasn't been any further discussions. We had opined that once that motion to dismiss was was uh, denied by the court, that we could see potential plea agreement who knows there there could be like time for you know, because we saw that you know th- that Stuart smith had uh, pled guilty on certain charges right so we were thinking maybe something could happen in the in between time but it sounds like they're just ready to go trial yeah and you never know what's happening behind the scenes but push to trial so we will see what's happening what i do know is that the real housewives of salt lake city is currently taping correct yes third season Yes, they just apparently I I know that we saw the news that they filmed the reunion not too long ago. And the thing is, with the these shows, they are recording almost year round. I mean, when they're off is when the show is airing. There's a little bit of downtime, but they're still very much engaged because it's airing. So this is like a it's a year round thing that's going on. And that's another one. I And Erica Jane, too. They are very, very they've determined they said that this is not true that everything that they you know everything that everyone's saying is not true when i feel like a lot of people would say maybe i don't want the cameras anymore but both of them are like nope and been very open and seemingly at least honest from their perspective yeah i would Mm. i mean i would make an educated guess that their lawyers sit there every night (laughs) gritted because just you want to control anything that's in the public sphere Right. And, and you want to protect your rights to th- whatever is discovery, whatever is going to come into the courtroom. You don't want to offer up any additional information. Right. And I think that that's, I understand completely wanting to prove your name and to, you know, make sure that your story is heard. However, you don't realize what that opens up in court it's just like it it just easily slides into something else unrelated that you didn't mean because you were just trying to protect your name right and it could open up doors to discovery it could open doors to additional evidence that wouldn't have normally been relevant that now could come into play and again jen's situation is different because it's a criminal case Mm -hmm. she really has to stay away from talking about any of those details which i think in general she's kind of said i'm i'm innocent yeah. But she hasn't really talked too much about any of exactly what's going on or any of her conversations with her lawyers or anything like that. Erica Jane's been a little bit more open. She was on that reunion talking about it. But again, that's a civil case. So it's a little bit of a different uh, situation. But still, it is always advisable I- <laughs> to stay out of the public eye or not even stay out of the public eye, but just be careful what statements are being made. Uh, well, in media and 
And the other part of this is that I have to imagine, and you tell me as an attorney, is that it's not even necessarily that your client, I mean, there's other, there's other housewives that are on these shows, which by the way, in both of these casts are very interested in these cases and the housewives poke and have other questions, rightfully so. And so the thing is, is that even if Erica and Jen are controlling their narrative and saying everything, you have to worry about other cast members bringing things up and things being said that could be put out then in the sphere, right? Oh, absolutely. It's just something so, that is so risky. Yeah, it is something that's very risky. And look, it's uh, they're I'm sure making their risk assessment. I'm not saying anything that their lawyers haven't sat down with them and said, "Hey, <laughs> right. you can do this, but here are the possible pitfalls." Yeah. Uh, to the extent that you're asked about certain aspects of these cases, we would recommend that you don't respond to X, Y, Z, whatever it might be. And we've heard a lot of times in when legal issues come up, you'll have some housewives who will say, I really can't talk about it. My lawyer's advice. Yes. Not. Fine. That's that's a good response. Yep. When you talk about- <laughs> Fair. Fair. Being in a reunion and being grilled with questions by by Andy Cohen, other housewives and possibly a viewer of the show. But uh, yeah, I think it's interesting that they're both still on these shows and and kind of both still showing, you know, the allegations. Jen Shaw is is fraud against people over the age of 55. You point I specifically um, tailoring these fraudulent schemes to people who are categorized as more vulnerable. Right. So that's the allegation. Mm -hmm. Optically, I would say showing off a very, very lavish lifestyle not great, although that has nothing to do with the legal arguments. Exactly. So it's, just, it's something to it's something to consider. Right. Uh, you don't know what's going to become relevant in court and what a jury is ultimately going to see, especially when you've got stuff out there in the public public eye. Um, Erica Jane, and we've talked about this before. Now, this we're talking about a bankruptcy proceeding. So you're out there living a lavish lifestyle and. Certainly, I'm sure she has an income relating to the housewives and an income relating to whatever product you know, the, yeah, on in- Instagram or whatever it is. So she's got her own income. That's fine. But keep in mind that any that that could implicate anything that's seen on the show could implicate other assets. We just don't know. We, we right. wouldn't you and I sitting here wouldn't know what that is. And I go back to the case of Abby Lee Miller who was filing for bankruptcy <laughs> of Dance Moms, the, the yes. dance studio, and she filed for bankruptcy, and she never disclosed funds from that television program, and the yeah. bankruptcy, the, 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 the judge... The judge saw the show, right? Saw the show, <laughs> saw the show and then questioned... <laughs> Said, I don't remember that show on the list. Yeah, and then <laughs> Abby Miller ended up in jail. So oh boy. Uh, what I'm saying is that it's not without consequence. And what comes into a courtroom is much more narrow than what you see in the public sphere, of course, mm. depending on what's relevant. But it's not without consequence to be out in the public eye when you're facing significant legal issues. Well, my piece that- of advice for the day. <laughs> I think that that's fair. We are certainly going to be watching them. We will certainly be watching The Real Housewives in general as it goes on. Um, we've got lots to, and lots to follow with this. Yes, absolutely. We are going to be on top of it. And there's a lot of other stories coming down the pike. So make sure to tune in to The Legal Brief. Thank you so much for listening, everyone.